Amen. Well, as the mayor mentioned, uh, this, this is our fourth anniversary. We've made it four years. All right. Excellent. Special for me today because it's also my youngest daughter's third birthday, so it's pretty special. If you see Evie, make sure you tell her happy birthday and don't, don't tell her that the bounce house is for the anniversary. She thinks it's for her birthday. So, uh, no, we, we didn't tell her that. But uh, it's, it's been four years. It's been four amazing years. We started with just about 16 families, core families, who were committed to praying together, sharing the gospel together, and living on mission together. And God has done so much over the last four years um, he's brought us to this place. He's allowed us to see lives changed, lives transformed. And I just want to encourage you, if this is your first time here, welcome. And we hope that you'll keep coming back. Uh, we want to we have the opportunity for you to get to hear some of those stories, to get to know some of those stories, and to be a part of the life change that is happening right here at River Rock Bible Church. So please be sure to, to join us through the rest of this series. Um, by the way, we're starting a brand new series today called Sex Ed. So the message is T for Teen, so if uh, maybe fifth grade and under, if you want to take your kids to, uh, to children's ministry right now, this would be a great time to do that. It is rated T for Teen, and if you don't believe me, just ask all the people that aren't here because they're mad at me because we're preaching about sex on <laughs> Sunday morning. So uh, with that being said, let me just jump right in. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you want to go ahead and turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today. And we're going to be looking at what Satan doesn't want your kids to know about sex. Now, let me just say this, that anytime we talk about sex, it can be pretty awkward, right? We had a little bit of an awkward moment this week. My daughter, six years old, comes home from school where my wife and I are in the kitchen. We're helping make dinner. Um, Actually, she's making dinner. I'm watching. And uh, that's me helping. Uh, I help eat it afterwards. But so we're we're there. We're making dinner. And Charlie says, Mom, what's Aunt Flo? And I was like, Six years old. All right, we're going to do this. Amanda's like, uh, let's talk about that later. I was like, nope, we're going to take this head on. We're going to talk about it right now. So I did my best explanation of uh, what I knew and explained everything. And eyes were glassed over. And I was like, so what do you think about us? She's like, awesome. Can, can we eat now? And uh, so it wasn't as awkward as I thought. But we just know that, that there's going to be those conversations, that they're going to happen. And you just never know when it's going to happen. There was a dad who's working out in the yard. And his daughter comes running out, and she goes, Daddy, 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 what is sex? And he's like, oh, man, eight years old. Here we go. I, didn't, I knew it was coming, but I didn't know it was this soon. And so he goes into his explanation, and, and her eyes just like she starts crying, and she doesn't know what to think. He's like, honey, what's wrong? She goes, I don't know. I was inside, and Mommy just told me to come out and tell you that dinner's going to be ready in a couple of sex. We, we've got to break down some of these barriers, and, and I've got some resources. Today is going to be geared towards parents and towards the, the teenagers in the room about what Satan doesn't want you to know about sex, which is everything that God wants you to know about it. And let me just say this. Our theme statement for the series is this, that great and godly sex starts in the heart and in the mind before it happens in the bedroom. It starts with a right heart attitude towards sex and a right mindset, a biblical worldview about sex before it ever happens in the bedroom. And let me just say this. Here at River Rock Bible Church, uh, we believe that marriage uh, is the place that God has designed sex to take place. That God created man and God created woman. And his design from the beginning was that man and woman would come together in a covenant marriage and that they would share a sexual experience together to unite them. And anything outside of that is outside of God's will. 
Now, that doesn't mean that if, if you've messed up in some way, shape, or form, if you've had some experience outside of that, that, that God has done with you. That's not at all what it means. We just believe that that is God's perfect will, and, and we celebrate that within marriage, um, that sex is a beautiful thing, and that's where it's designed to take place. It's like if you had uh, the way we talk about some things with, with our kids. When I was a youth pastor, we used to say, all right, is fire good or bad? Is fire good or bad? Who Both. Yes, right. So we have a fire at a camp out uh, in a fire pit or in our fireplace. That's a great thing. We can roast marshmallows. We can roast hot dogs. You take that fire out of the fireplace. You put it on your living room rug. Now we've got a problem, right? The same thing is true of sex in the right context. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's an enjoyable thing. And what I don't want kids and teenagers to walk away from is the idea about sex that I had when I was growing up in the church. The message was this. Sex is dirty, nasty, and ugly. So save it for the one you love. Right? And then my wife and I get married, and we're like, should we feel guilty about this? Like, we were always told, don't do it, don't do it, don't, don't do it. It's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And now that we're told, hey, you're married, it's a great thing. Like, well, hold on a second. There's a little bit of confusion here. So I want to very clearly say this, that sex is a beautiful thing within the confines of a biblical marriage between one man and one woman who are committed to a lifetime together. It's a beautiful thing, and that should be celebrated. Hebrews 13.4 says that marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. And so we want to do that. We want to honor marriage and we want to keep that marriage bed pure. And that means keeping ourselves pure before marriage. Uh, But I I do want to make the distinction that we honor marriage and not purity. It may seem a little weird, but we want to honor marriage. We want to elevate marriage. We want to paint a beautiful picture of marriage for our kids, our teenagers, our young adults, and even for ourselves because purity is something that should carry on Sexual purity is something that should carry on even into your marriage, right? Your right mindset, your right heart attitude towards it should be a pure one. And so we've got to understand, you know, I, I know there's some people who are a little bit frustrated that we're talking about this, but uh, if I could say just respectfully that uh, it's time we pull our head out of the sands as, as, as the church, not just this church, but the church, and that we talk about this stuff in church. Because if we don't talk about it, the only the only thing our kids are going to hear about it is from the enemy. It's from the enemy. So we need to be painting a beautiful biblical picture for them. And this is what we know about our enemy. John eight forty four tells us this. It says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has not, not stood in the truth. It goes on, and it says, because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature. Because he's a what? He's a liar and the father of liars. So we know that Satan is a liar, and Satan is lying to your kids about sex. Satan is telling your kids a number of things about sex that are just just false. They're just wrong. And, and I'm going to go through some of those lies real quick, briefly, just some of those that this isn't an exhaustive list, but these are just some of the things that our kids are hearing today about sex. Number one is that sex is no big deal. Sex is no big deal. You want to have friends with benefits? You want to have, you know, Netflix and chill? Not a, not a big deal, right? It doesn't make a difference. It's just sex. It's just something physical. And we're going we're gonna to address that in a little bit. Oral sex isn't sex. We can remember back a few presidents ago that, well, that depends on what the definition of is is, right? And, and, and that's what the world is telling our kids, that bisexuality and homosexuality are okay, and they should be celebrated, right? We're going to see that that's not in God's, God's plan, that porn is okay, that it's okay if you're looking at porn, that this is just a normal way of thinking about things. And parents, let me tell you this, uh, especially our young men today, 
I heard one pastor say this. He said, our young men, our young adults today, they're turning to video games for their adventure and pornography for romance. They're turning to video games for their adventure and pornography for romance. And we need to let our kids know that, hey, this is, this is not God's will. And then lastly, uh, the last one that we're going to see is, uh, our, especially our young, young ladies are told, dress hot. Dress hot. Right? And so these are the lies that are being reinforced over and over and over again. Not always spoken, but, but the messages you see as you watch TV, as you drive along the road. These are the messages that we see. And so we need to uh, address these head on. We need to paint a beautiful picture for our kids of what godly sexuality looks like. And so we're going to do that today by beginning in 1 Corinthians 6. A little bit of background on, first, on the church in Co- Corinth. 1 Corinthians was written to the church in Corinth by the Apostle Paul. Corinth was a port city. It was a city that was known for its debauchery, for uh, its sex industry. There was a temple there, and you could go to the temple and quite literally find any kind of sex that you wanted. And it was weird because they would use sex, and they had temple prostitutes. They would use sex as a way to gain favor from the gods. And so Paul is going to speak directly into this, and he's going to say, this is not okay. And, and here's the first thing that Paul's going to tell us, is that your bod, say your bod, belongs to God. All right, let's say that together. Your bod belongs to God. All right, look with me at 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. He says this. He says, uh, don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So Paul says very clearly, he says, hey, look, this is not your body. This is God's body. And most of our culture today says sex. What's the big deal? It's just a physical thing. It's my body. I can do what I want. It's my body. So what's the big deal? And very clearly, Paul says, no, it's not your body. Let me ask you this. Your body, did you create it? No, God did. Your body, when it's fallen, when it's in a broken state because you have sinned, which all of the scripture tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, did, did you redeem it through Jesus Christ? No, God did that. When you die and you're raised from the dead, did you do that? No, God did that. When you get to heaven and you get a brand new glorified body, did you do that? No, God did that. It's not your body. It's God's. Your body belongs to God. That's the first thing that Paul wants them to see. And then he's going to go on and say this in verse 13 of chapter 6. He says, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will do away with both of them. The body is not for, what does it say? The body is not for, oh, you guys have to be bolder than that, all right? It's awkward for me. My parents were supposed to be here today, so think about how awkward (laughs) it was for me preparing this message all week long, right? So the body is not for what? Thank you, but for? And the Lord for? The body, the body. So, yeah, so thanks. The, the big question then is what is sexual immorality? I mean, is a little bit of fooling around here? Is that sexual immorality? It doesn't seem like a big deal. It shouldn't be. Is, is looking at pornography, you know, everybody does it. That's not, that's not that big a deal. You know, is that sexual immorality? Is, is you know, thinking about adultery or adultery, is that, is that sexual immorality? What is sexual immorality? So let's define the what. Uh, by looking at the word sexual immorality. In the original language, that word is pornea, all right? Porn, pornea, you see any correlation here, right? Pornea 
encapsulates a number of things in sexual immorality. Uh, some of the things that it says uh, in, in uh, uh, one of the definitions is illicit sexual contact, adultery, premarital sex, lesbianism, homosexuality, incest, bestiality. Here's the bottom line. Any extramarital arousal. Any extramarital sexual arousal, any sexual arousal outside of the marriage relationship between one man and one woman is sexual immorality. That's what the scripture talks about. So is, is looking at porn? Yes, absolutely. Is fooling around a little bit? Absolutely. Adultery? Absolutely. Is sex with someone of the opposite sex outside of marriage sexual immorality? Absolutely. Right, so let's just let's just paint it the way that it is. There's no no intercourse, no outer course, right? No rubbing on each other, no no upper course, no lower course, right? There's just no coursing outside of marriage, right? No no coursing at all. We're just going to keep it there. It's we got to save it for when we get married. So that's the what of sexual immorality, but the what is not enough, because we can understand the what and and teach our kids the what, and they may end up saying, as perhaps some of us did. Uh, which is without the why, it becomes why not, right? I understand the what, but we got to understand the why. Otherwise, they may just say why not. And I want us to look at that now is why, why. And the first reason why is that sex is sticky. Sex is sticky. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians six fifteen through 16. He says this. He says, don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? Should I take a part of Christ's body and, and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone who is joined to a prostitute is one with her body? For Scripture says, the two shall become one flesh. So what is he talking about here? He's saying that sex is sticky. That the physical act of sex is meant to stick two people together. What is God's perfect plan? Genesis 2.24. We're going to get there next week for married couples. God's perfect plan. God sees that man is alone, and he says it's not good for man to be alone. So he creates woman, and he brings them together. In God's perfect world, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's God's perfect plan. In, in the perfect world, a virgin man and a virgin woman come together, and through the act of intercourse... There's a shedding of blood as there is with every single covenant. There's a shedding of blood that, that would take place. And that, that shedding of blood would seal their marriage covenant. And it's a beautiful moment. It's a glorious moment. It's a righteous moment. That act of husband and wife coming together for the first time and their marriage covenant being sealed together as one flesh for the rest of their lives because sex is, is sticky. Sex is very sticky. A lot like... Duct tape, right? Can I get a volunteer? A couple volunteers? All right. All right, Zach, come on up, bud. Come on up. Do I have any other volunteers? I need two more, maybe. Two more. Come on up. Come on up. Let me get one more volunteer. Let me get one more. All right, come on up. We got two. Come on up. All right, so feel this tape for me. Is it sticky? Is it sticky? Let me see your arms. You got any hair on your arms yet? You don't have enough. I'm not going to pull off your arms. But let me see the back of your shirt. Let me see. All right, watch. See, I put this tape on here. It sticks, right? It sticks, but then I pull it off. And it wasn't real easy to get off, but it came off. It's still sticky. All right, you can go have a seat. All right, let me see the back of your dress here. Let's stick it right across here and see, right? It sticks. And then we pull it off. But guess what? Now it's a little 
little less sticky. And every time I stick it, you can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much. Every time I stick this tape to something else, it becomes less and less and less sticky. This is a piece of tape that I took around with me all week and uh, just stuck it to a bunch of different things, uh, including my carpet, uh, which you can see that we do have a dog. But here's what happened after a couple times of sticking it to stuff is it's no longer sticky. Sex is meant to be sticky. Sex is meant to unite a husband and wife together and bond them into a sticky relationship. That's, that's one of the first things that our kids need to understand about sex and that Satan doesn't want them to know is that sex is sticky. The second thing that our kids need to understand is that sexual sin is messy. Sexual sin is messy. Look at what Paul says in verse 18. He says, he says casually walk away from. All right, anytime I say something that Scripture doesn't say, you're supposed to scream out heresy, right? All right, thank you, Mason. All right, meander away from. Heresy, all right, what does it say? Say it with me. Run, run from what? And here's why. Every sin a person commits, commits is outside the body. On the contrary, the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Sins against his own body. It's true that all sin, all sin separates us from God. But there's something different about sexual sin. It is messy. It is extremely messy. The consequences for all sin are not the same. And sexual sin, because it's the only one that we commit against our own body, is one of those. And I I just want to show you guys this very clearly of what sexual sin can do in our lives. When we start out, we, we may have that purity. And you can see very clearly this clear glass of water. You can see right through it. But then that sexual sin enters into our lives. And it may just be a drop or a few drops, but it begins to make everything cloudy. It begins to muddy the waters just a little bit. And pretty soon it it overcomes our, our lives because we're overwhelmed by guilt and by shame. Did you know that the very first sin that Satan tempted Adam and Eve into affected their sexuality because what we read is that they were naked before the before the serpent comes they were naked and they felt no say it if you know it they felt no shame but guess what after they eat and their eyes are open they've sinned then they hide why because they felt shame they were afraid their relationship together was no longer shameless and sexual sin brings in that guilt and and we just know that it is extremely, extremely messy. It's, it's different than other kinds of sins. I uh, was a youth pastor for a number of years, and I've had the privilege of doing a number of weddings. And one of the things that I tell couples um, when I do their wedding is, hey, I've got to do your, your, your premarital counseling. We're going to do this together at least four to six weeks. And one of the things that's come up over and over again, uh, you know, I've never had a, a lady come to me and say, you know, I love this man, and I want to marry him, but, and I'm embarrassed to say this, he's a jaywalker. He sees that don't walk sign, and he just goes right across the street. He doesn't even look for the crosswalk. He, he's just a jaywalker. And I've never had a guy come to me and say, you know what, I, I can't marry her because she cannot park. Like, she is just the worst parker in the whole world. Like, these things are bad, and sometimes we could consider them sin, right? But... But it's not the same as sexual sin. I'll tell you what I do here. I do hear women coming to me, marriage and premarital counseling, saying, he looks at porn. 
and uh, he has no idea how it affects me. It makes me wonder if I'm good enough. It makes me want to withhold intimacy from him. It makes me makes me feel uh, really bad that that he would do this, and I'm I'm very insecure, and I'm not sure I can marry him. Or the guy will say, you know, I love this woman, but I know about her past. I know she's been with with a number of, of other guys, and it scares me because I don't know if she's going to be comparing me to someone else. I don't know if she's going to be thinking about someone else when she's with me. And, and, you know, if she wasn't faithful to God's plan before we were married, how do I know that she's going to be faithful to God's plan after we're married? And it begins to sow all of these seeds of doubt and of shame. And some of you, you may know that. You may know that. And I've got I to tell you, don't buy into the lie that Satan would have you believe that because you've messed up in this area that, that God's done with you. No, God wants to restore you, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit, that God can bring healing. But we need to understand that sex is messy. Sex is very messy. The last thing that we want to look at is this, that sexual purity is an act of worship. Sexual purity is an act of worship. And where does that come from? Let's go back to verses 19 and 20. Don't you know that your body is a, what does that say? Your body is a sanctuary. What do you do in a sanctuary? You worship. You worship. Another place we get this is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. He says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your body as a living what? A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And he says, do not be transformed. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may discern what the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God is. It's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. We can worship God with our bodies. We worship God through song. We worship God through dance. And we can worship God through our sexual purity. We worship God through our sexual purity. It is an act of worship for us to say, you know what? I am going to submit my body in obedience to God and I'm going to save this act until I'm married. I'm not going to be involved in this in any way until I'm married. It's an act of worship. We've got to guard. We've got to guard this with all our hearts and strength. And when our kids understand, see, the, the world is telling them sex is no big deal, homosexuality is okay, oral sex isn't sex, you need to dress hot to get guys' attention, and, and these are the messages that the world is telling them. And it's so important that they understand the fundamentals, that we be able to bring them back and, and we get them to the point where they understand the fundamentals, where they understand my bod belongs to God. It is not my own. It is bought with a price. And that price was Jesus' blood. We, when we understand that God's standards are higher than our standards, and we don't need to give our kids some watered-down standards and lower the bar for them so that they get over it. No, we need to raise the bar because here's the thing. Here's the thing, is that this generation, I'm going to say college students, young adults and under, I think they have, they have more potential for evil than any other generation because of the access, what they have, what they have access to. But I'll, I'll, let me say this, they have more potential for good because this is what I see in our generation of children and young adults right now. I see a generation that is willing to die to make a difference in their world. And when they find something they're passionate about, that they believe in, that they will give their lives to make it happen. And I believe that when, when they get to the point where they surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, 
and they're willing to follow him, that we are going to see righteousness lived out in a way that, that our generation didn't know because we didn't have the same kind of passion that this generation has. I truly believe that. Even if they've messed up in the past, when Jesus gets a hold of them, they're going to say, you know what, this is what I'm living for. This is what I'm willing to die for, and I'm going to make a difference. But we've got to paint the picture for our kids. We've got we to gotta help them understand that sex is sticky, that sexual sin is messy, and that, that purity is an act of worship. Because when you understand this, when you understand these fundamentals, it diffuses the lies of the enemy. It diffuses the lies of the enemy. And when the enemy says, you know, it's, sex is no big deal, our kids will say, no, 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 actually it is a big deal. Because when man was alone, God created woman for man, and he brought them together, and he united them in one flesh. And he gave them something beautiful. When the world says that, that oral sex isn't sex, no, it is. It's a big deal. It's sexual immorality. Sex outside of marriage, sexual immorality, it's a big deal. I don't buy it. When the world says, dress hot, we got to teach them. They're going to say, you know what? No, I understand that God loves me the way that I am. That, that one of the verses we had our daughter memorize when she was only four years old, Proverbs 31.1, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. And what I love about my, my oldest daughter, Charlie, is that she will go outside in blue jeans and her cowboy boots and run around with the boys, and, you know, 30 seconds later, she wants to paint her fingernails and do her hair, but she, she doesn't care about what's on the outside. She understands that what God cares about is the heart. And so parents, we need to be teaching our young ladies, our daughters, that you don't have to dress a certain way. And young ladies, let me speak to you as a, as a man who has two daughters. Any, any boy that you have to dress a certain way for is not worth your time. If you have to dress a certain way to get his attention, He's not worth your time, and you don't want him anyways because he's a boy. You want a man. You want a man. Dads, you need to be teaching your daughters what it looks like to be a man after God's own heart so that when she looks for a man, she knows what to look for. Moms, we need to, we need to be careful the messages that we're sending to our kids. I, I had a <laughs> back when people used to go to the mall, uh, it used to blow my mind how some of these parents would send their kids out of the house. They were looking like, like prostitutes. I came up with a word for it. I call them prostitutes. It was just um, like halter tops and, and mini skirts at age 12. Like, what's the point? They need to understand that this is your body, that you need to honor God with your purity, with what you're presenting out there. Some of us may say, well, kids will be kids. Kids will be kids. It's okay if they dress this way. Well, listen, it's okay if they do these things. Look, God, God didn't call us to be like everyone else. God didn't call you to be like anyone else. He called you to be holy, set apart, and righteous. And it's easy to say, you know what, well, well kids are going to be kids, and they're going to do what they want to do. Um, but again, I think if we raise the bar, they're going to supersede that bar when Jesus Christ gets a hold of them, and we, we have potential to see an entire generation make an impact in this world, we need to raise the bar for them. And some of you parents right now, I can, I, I can almost put myself in your head, and I know what the enemy is saying to you. Who in the world do you think you are to talk to your kids about sex and sexual purity with your past, with the things that you've done, with the things that you've seen, 
And let me just tell you right now, you need to, you need to shut that down. That is the enemy, the liar who is getting in your head, who is trying to mess with you. You need to put that aside. You need to shut it down. Because we know very clearly that God is able to restore us. We need to pray what David prayed. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Create in me a clean heart. Whenever those thoughts come into your mind, just remember that through Jesus Christ, God has created a clean heart for me. I have a clean heart. I have a clean mind. Grant me a willing spirit that I would follow you. Don't let the enemy make you back down from talking about this with your kids. Because he wants you to feel guilty. There's no reason to. We need to pray that God would grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. There's nothing you can face. There's no pain that you can face. There's no shame that you can face that God cannot overcome. God can and will set you free. He wants to set you free. Earlier we saw that, that little Im- illustration of how sexual sin is messy. I want to watch it again, and I want us to keep watching this time. And what we see is, as we watch this cup, we see this clear cup, and we see that, man, this is, this is beautiful. This is our purity. And then that sin, whatever it is, it could be sexual sin, it could be pride, it could be something else in your life. Some sin comes in, and it taints us. But then what we see is, is that it makes us cloudy. It makes us begin to doubt, and the enemy wants us to stay in this state of mind of shame and confusion. But then we read this in Job 11. What we start to see is that when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, that the water begins to flow. It says, yet if you devote your heart to God and stretch out your hand to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow the evil to dwell in your tent, then you will lift up your face without shame. Lift up your face without shame. You will stand firm and without fear. And surely you will forget your trouble, recalling it only as water is gone by. Just like this cup of water that was once red now runs clear again, this is exactly what Jesus Christ does for us the moment we put our trust in him. The moment we put our trust in Jesus Christ alone as our Savior, he washes us clean. He washes us clean, and it's as if it never happened. It's as if water has gone by. And let me say this this morning. You may be struggling with some sexual sin here today. You may be struggling. Jesus Christ can heal you. He wants to heal you. It's a matter of simply trusting in him. You may be a follower of Jesus Christ that is secretly struggling with a sexual sin. And I want you to know that you are already cleansed. You are already healed. It's simply a matter of acknowledging it, confessing it to the Lord, confessing it to someone else and asking for their help to get over it. Because what the enemy wants for you as a follower of Jesus Christ is he wants you to stay beaten down. He wants you to believe that lie that God can't use you because of your sexual sin right now. He doesn't want you to know that Jesus Christ has already overcome that and that he wants to use you in spite of your sin, that that God wants to use you. And let me just say this. um, We believe in community groups here at River Rock Bible Church strongly. And if you're not in a community group, you need to be. Uh, you need a group of people around you. If you're struggling with some sexual sin, if you're a slave to homosexual thoughts, if you're, if you're struggling with, with thoughts about adultery, maybe you're in an adulterous relationship right now, maybe you're in a sexual relationship, you're here with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and you're like, man, we shouldn't have come to church today. No, this is exactly where you need to be. 
And let me tell you, if you, if you can see that, man, this is sexual immorality. This is not what God desires for me. I, I want to encourage you. You need to get with, with someone else of the, of the same sex as you and ask them to walk through it with you. You need to get with someone in your community group. If you're married, you need to go to your spouse and say, here's what I'm struggling with. You need to go to one of the elders. You need to come to me or one of the staff members and say, here's what I'm struggling with. Because here's the reality. If you could get over this on your own, you would have done it a long time ago. If you could get over this on your own, you would have done it a long time ago. You need someone to walk through this with you. And we want to be here with you. I want to I spend some time this morning in, in prayer for us. My first prayer is for those of us who are, maybe we feel trapped. Maybe we're right in the middle of that sexual sin. If you would, just let's just close our eyes and let's just spend a time in prayer. And I just want to pray for those who are struggling with this. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that your word tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation has seized you but what is common to man. But God is faithful. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Lord, I pray for the men, women, young adults, children in this room who are currently in the middle of struggling with with a sexual sin, whatever it may be. Father, I pray that they would see the way out and that they would run to it and stand up under it, knowing that you have provided that way out. Lord, I pray that there would be times of confession this week. People would go to their spouses. They would go to... Uh, trusted friends of the same sex and confess the sin that they're struggling with, that they go to members of their community group and ask for help to walk through this, to get through this. Father, I pray most of all that those who are tempted to believe the lie that they're stuck here would understand that you have already washed them clean through your son, Jesus Christ. They just need to cling to his name, cling to him and walk in the purity that you've provided. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Last verse.